It, um, I've already mentioned this uh, earlier. It has occurred to me recently that one of the, one of the devil's favorite tactics is drawing us in so many disparate focus and subject areas that we lose our edge. We lose our edge. Um, when, uh, when Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of uh, Foursquare Churches, uh, of which we are a part, we're part of the fellowship of Foursquare Churches, when she taught the Foursquare Gospel in the 1920s, um, it was such, uh, considered such a significant teaching that there were Methodist churches and churches of all denominational stripes that were actually putting on their church signs um, in the state of California where she was. They were putting on their church signs um, the first Methodist church where the Foursquare Gospel is preached. It, it was on all kinds of church signs at that time. Uh, today, you can tell someone what those four little squares on our, our uh, church logo means, and they will uh, yawn. <laughs> Christ the Savior, Christ the Healer, Christ the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Christ the Coming King. And they will go, yeah, but um, what do you think about Sean Hannity's new book? Um, you know, I've been thinking maybe we need to rebrand the church. Maybe that'll draw more young people in, uh, make it a little more appealing. Uh, did you see that article about the wealthiest preachers this past week? Man, some of those guys are billionaires, and on and on it goes. And, so I, you know, I was just thinking about it, and I just scrolled through on my computer. It was there on the, on the desk, and I scrolled through just some of the subjects that were addressed in the articles on my computer. Let me show you what I just saw in just like a minute and a half, just, just kind of going through. Can the government ban worship? Can public officials offer prayer? Is the church full of white privilege? Why are young people leaving the church? Should Jerry Falwell Jr. be fired? Now that's one that really takes up a lot of my time right there. Is it okay to have a monthly prophecy? I scratch my head. A monthly prophecy. Yeah, so there are folks that every month they write their prophecy of the month. And the question of the article was, is this okay? I just think it's weird. I'm, yeah, it's fruit of the month. It might be more fruity than about anything. Careful. Riots in America and how the church relates to that. Has COVID-19 been politicized? I would say that's a question I could answer. Uh, <laughs> are Black Lives Matter leaders calling on spirits of the, of the dead? By the way, the answer is yes. LGBTQ plus presses for legal sex with minors. Did you see that one? Mm. Is our economy on the verge of collapsing? Should the Washington Monument and Jefferson Memorial be removed? Are we going to have a fair election? Now, 
I'm not saying those are unimportant issues. I'm not saying you shouldn't know about those things or be interested in those things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we lose sight of our basic anchor points of, of life in the flurry of information and controversy and questioning in every direction that seems to happen today just naturally. You can see how our minds are, are filled with the clutter of, uh, of all of these um, current titillations that attract our attention. It's unbelievable. So I think the words in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 become very apropos when the writer of Hebrews said, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again those things which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So you know what I want to do today? I want to talk to you about divine healing. I want to talk to you about the doctrine of divine healing and some wrestlings that many of us have had in that doctrinal area. Do we have a solid footing in that square out on that sign that says Christ the healer? Or have we slid into a, um, a sovereignty view more sovereignty than it should be, uh, that says, um, if it's God's will to heal the sick, then he will. And if it's not, he won't. Sort of just a strong Calvinism view. Um, if it's not his will, then the best thing you can do is get medical help so you can fight against God's will. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Think about that one a moment. Or maybe, or maybe medical help was God's perfect will in the first place. And so we just kind of stay in the middle of that storm. And listen, I, I want to just say this right at the outset, family. Oh, we're, we're on those, um, whoever's up there, we're, we're on the first point. Um, sovereignty is involved in all God's workings. All of God's workings. Sovereignty is always involved. His mercy is often a mystery to us. God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's like the elephant in the room, isn't it? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So you don't argue with me about it. So, he blesses people that we would look at and say, I wouldn't bless that person if I were God. Martin Luther said, if I were God, I would kick the world into pieces. <laughs> and sometimes the mystery is what he allows. Maybe you want to make the argument that he doesn't do it, but he allows it. He just turns and says, okay, the Job case. Have you seen my servant Job? I always think, boy, I wouldn't want to be that person that God says, have you seen Ron? Mm -hmm. We just Some of those things are just mysterious to us. Um, Paul's thorn has always been one of those grappling points for people trying to just um, 
trying to figure out doctrine of where Paul's thorn fits into things. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. By the way, infirmities, Greek word, asthenia, it means a feebleness of mind or body. Now, I don't believe anyone would contend that Paul was feeble in his mind. Infirmities is almost certainly a physical issue. Just say it. Infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. <clears throat> Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was the devil's work. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to beat him up. But God didn't relieve him of Satan's work. He said it was to keep him from being exalted above measure because of the revelations that he had. And the end product was that God's strength was made perfect in his weakness caused by what God allowed him to endure when he pleaded with the Lord to remove it. Uh, some have tried to make the case, and I, I have many of those books in my personal library, and I've, I've read them through the years. Some have really tried to make the case and contended that Paul's uh, thorn was not a physical infirmity. Um, it's hard to get there because of the meaning of the word infirmities. And maybe you could try to make that case from this context. I think you'd have more problems with Galatians 4, where Paul said, And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise, but you treated me as an angel of God. You didn't, you didn't recoil from me. There was obviously a physical problem that was um, not good to see, was pretty reviling to look upon. Jesus simply did not heal every sick person that he encountered. An example of that is the pool of Bethesda. Now there's in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, uh, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. I think you know the rest of the story. And it says an angel came down at a certain season, a certain time. This is, like a, this is like a hospital, one sick person after another, waiting for this moving of the waters in this hospital. Um, a few times in my life, I've encountered people who see, seem to think, and sometimes they're pretty straightforward about it, that any person that they lay their hands on or that they pray for is going to be healed. I always wonder why they don't, don't just go to a hospital and go to one room after another and heal everybody. If that were the case, if everybody you touch is going to get healed, man, go to Charlton Methodist. Just do it. 
I think, I think we're all ready for it. I know those people at Charlton are ready for it. Jesus came to this place, and he only healed one. And there's really no evidence that that one had faith. In fact, he had more self-pity than anything else. They were all focused on this moving of the waters because something that God had done miraculously became a superstitious fixation for these people. They're superstitiously waiting for this magical moment again and they get all fixed on it it, it was it, it was like the the brazen serpent up on the pole in the old testament it was god's will and it was god's way of getting them healed and then the people began to worship the serpent and god had to judge them for that we do that don't we god uses somebody david wilkerson said god starts to use somebody and we put them on a pedestal When our focus is on anything other than Christ and the Word, very few miracles happen. Faith was not present around that pool. It was a hospital, but there was no faith in those people. But there's not one instance of Jesus ever making anyone sick. Not one. Not one time he ever said, receive the flu, receive cancer. Not one time. Not one time did Jesus ever say, it's my will that you get leprosy. But instead, when the leper came and said, if it's your will, you'd heal me. Will you, will you heal me? He said, I will. Behold, Jesus never made anyone sick. Instead, the four records of his life are filled with scriptures like Matthew 4, that says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. It doesn't say he caused any of those things. He healed them. That's a clear biblical record. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit who, and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Those are pretty specific examples, aren't they? The scripture is clear that Jesus came specifically to demonstrate and show the will of the Father. John 6, 38. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Came to do the will of the Father. No doubt about that. John 1, 14 describes Jesus in this way. It says, He was the Word made flesh who dwelt among us so that we would behold the glory of God, of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the revelation. He was the very living word of God. And Colossians 2, 9 and 10 is even actually a little more powerful because it gets translated to us. 
For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Jesus that's talking about. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. You, the church. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So the fullness of him, of, of the Father in him, gets translated to the fullness of him in us. What an amazing passage. What an amazing thought. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead, and we are completed in his authority over all power of darkness. So my question to you is, so what's the problem? So what's the problem? Why are so many believers sick? Why don't we see more obvious, recognizable miracles that you can poke and prod and you don't have to be fragile with? Why don't we see more of those? I'm going to take a shot at answering that question. You know, I've never drawn back from the tough subjects. I'm going to take a shot at answering those questions because I think there's some kind of mismatch between the truths that I'm teaching here and the lack of health that I see too often among God's people. I'm going to give you my top four reasons why there's so much sickness and so few miracles. Okay? All right. Number one. You, you, by the way, this is my list. You may differ with these four, so you're perfectly free to do so. <laughs> I'm like Jerry Cook once said. He, said. he said, I just teach the word. It's up to you to figure out if you agree with me or not. There's a spirit of unbelief that has invaded and overtaken our nation. I, I, I frankly think this is why that um, many times when we go to other nations, especially developing nations, nations that don't have access to the help that we have and so forth, um, many times we see more miracles in those places. We see more reports of miracles among those people a lot of times. Uh, where people are desperate, their life is simpler, more primitive, uh, the Bible says to the hungry man, every bitter thing is sweet. I've done quite a bit of traveling. Been in a lot of those places. And um, I've seen those hungry people. I've seen them healed. I, I will never forget one night when I was in my, uh, my uncle's crusade in, I believe it was in Bogota, Colombia. I was standing on the platform. And I watched a blind man right there in front of the platform. And his eyes were glazed over with that white, gray look. And I just focused on him because he was standing right there, or close where I could see him. He was totally blind. And after prayer, he just began to look around. And when he began to see lights and he began to see people, and excitement was an unbelievable experience as his eyes cleared hungry, desperate, a faith that comes from having 
no other option but Jesus. When Jesus taught the word in his hometown, interestingly, the people were offended in him. In Matthew 13, <clears throat> when he'd come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? See, see what they're doing here? It's a put-down thing. Who does he think he is? He puts his pants on one leg at a time just like I do. I know his family. Where does he think he's getting all this stuff from? He didn't get any big education. I'm as, I'm as educated as he is. Not this the carpenter's son. It's not his mother called Mary, his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. His sisters, they're not all with us. Where did he get all this stuff? So they were offended at him. They were offended at Jesus. They belittled him. They used their logic to give them reason to, to not believe. It was an offense. Why did it offend them? Because he spoke with God's authority. <laughs> and they put him down. He's just a man. You know what the bottom line was? They had no fear of God. They had no fear of God. That's the bottom line. They made light of him. And guess what the result was? It's in verse 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mm -hmm. You think that could be a little bit like America today? I think so. I think so, I believe so. I think the same thing has happened in our nation. I think it's interesting that many people seem to have much more faith in COVID-19 than they have in God's truth. I mean, the confidence that COVID-19 is going to really, really have great harm or even cause you to die... That confidence seems very prevalent and very great. The confidence in Christ as healer of COVID-19 is very minimal. In fact, a lot of Christians don't even pray for healing when it happens. First thing that we do is start thinking about, well, what kind of, what kind of doctor can I get to? I need to get tested. I need to get the medication. It's okay. I'm not fighting against that. But I think our number one reason for such sickness is a spirit of unbelief that is in our nation, simply. An offense with God. Because we don't have anybody telling us what to do. We're going to do our own thing. Number two, reason and logic has displaced faith. Isaiah 55 says, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's truth trumps our thoughts. I've been amazed at how much we hear words from Christians like, we need to listen to the experts. Um, we should follow science. The facts are the important thing. And I'm not suggesting at all that we hide our head in the sand. I'm not suggesting at all that we ignore the facts. I am suggesting that God's word always trumps scientific reasoning. And if there's anything I, I, for one, have learned through this whole epidemic is that these scientists are wrong a lot of times. There's been a lot of wrong information. 
boy, guys, can I just walk out on a limb a little bit here and say I think the decision to shut businesses down has caused so much harm to little families that are struggling to stay alive. Our little station right down here on the corner had to shut down. They couldn't afford to stay in business. I, I, I know you're not supposed to do this today as a, as a pastor, but I've become a, sh- a, a fan of Shelley Luther. You know, the woman with the hair salon that just kept it open? Did you see her T-shirt? Have you seen the news pieces about her? The T-shirt, I, I love it. It's got, a, it's got a hair dryer, a picture of a hair dryer at the top of it, and it says, come and take it. <laughs> I think I want to vote for Shelly Long, uh, Shelly Luther. She's, uh, did, did you know she's running for Texas Senate? <laughs> did you know she's running for Texas Senate? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a special election coming up, I think September 29th. Uh, it just kind of made me laugh, really. I thought, man, I think I'm going to vote for that gal. Yeah, she's, got some, she's got some sand. When Paul was gathering sticks on the island of Melita or Malta, a snake came out of the sticks and bit him, latched onto him. I'm just going to tell you, that hurt. <laughs> it doesn't say in the Bible it hurt, but it hurt. It'll hurt you when a venomous snake comes out and attaches onto your arm. It hurts, and there's poison in your system, and there's a fear that you're going to be dealing with. That pain and that poison and all that went along with it was Paul's reality right then. But his faith trumped his reality, and it didn't take him long to shake it off into the fire. And I want you just to think about that. Cindy Stairs gave me that illustration. But I want you to think about that when you or any of your friends get sideswiped with COVID-19 like my family did. Just think about that. And just move ahead with it and shake it off into the fire and start speaking God's word. Give yourself big doses of the scripture. To reason and logic have just displaced our faith. Third reason that there's so much sickness and not very many miracles, I believe, is many of us have not been good stewards of our bodies. Can we talk? Many of us have not been good stewards of our bodies. I'm talking about our diet, I'm talking about our sedentary lifestyle. We'll do anything to avoid physical work, labor. I'm talking about our lack of rest. You, you, you will remember, because I've mentioned this several times, that when I got hit with sickness last November, and it lasted all the way to January before I went to Mexico and led the team to Mexico, two and a half months Um, during that time, I stepped outside one day and I stood in our back forest area and I prayed and God gave me five things that I needed to do. I'd lost my wife. I was sick in my heart. It was a dark time. I wasn't eating right. The Holy Spirit said, you need to start eating right. 
You need to reclaim the Sabbath. You need to get outside more. That was an interesting one because I'm an outside person. I, I, I love working outside. Get outside more. I could feel myself getting healthier, just getting out breathing. You guys that are sitting inside staring at your computer and praying somebody to mow your lawn, get out and mow your lawn. Hello? Do some stuff. Don't sit and stare at your computer all the time. It'll make you sick. I believe it. I think computers make you sick, actually. I think. Can you tell I'm kind of a it? Yeah. But I'm probably just an old geezer, you know. But listen to 1 Corinthians 6. Paul was an old geezer, too. And he said this. Do you not know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit that's in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Do you know God's the one that's supposed to tell you what to do with your body? You're not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. How do you glorify God in your body? By taking care of it, by being a good steward. We need to really think about what we eat and not just throw anything in that we feel like throwing into our mouth. No wonder our, our, no wonder our children seem to be getting sicker and, and uh, obesity is becoming more and more common among our children. Because we don't work, they don't work. Physical exercise is lacking. Be a good steward of your body. Right, Becca? You're a pro in this area. I know. You know a lot of stuff about this. The fourth thing. Sinful attitudes have become common in our world and even in the church. I believe that I can biblically make the case that our attitudes translate to sickness in our body. I do. I'm talking about anger that's so common. I have a friend. I mean, I really know this guy. I knew he carried a gun in his vehicle. He got, got into a traffic situation recently, pulled a gun guy. He's in trouble. He's in trouble. He's got an anger problem. I've known that about him. I love him, but he's got an anger problem. It's not, it's not anybody in this church, just a friend. But he's got an anger problem. And he pulled his gun because he got mad. Anger is just controlling a lot of people today. People are getting into fights in stores and restaurants. Fear is just controlling a lot of people's hearts and lives today. Afraid, sitting, looking out at the world and wondering if they're going to be the next one. Is an X on their life to, to get COVID-19 and to get sick and all of that. Hatred, just hatred. Just see somebody and just hate them for certain things. Despising of others, depression. When a man was healed in Jesus' ministry... It said, afterward, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. If you continue in the attitudes you've had, you're going to get sick all over again, and you'll even get sicker than before. Paul taught the same connection about the communion. Do you remember that in 1 Corinthians 11? 
He talked about uh, those who take the communion need to examine their heart. They need to examine their behavior. They said, if you don't do this, you're actually going to be, now, now listen to this, eating and drinking damnation to yourself. Uh, he didn't get on the fence. He didn't stutter. When you don't look at your own attitude, when you don't look at your own behaviors, when you don't look at your own heart, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Judgment upon yourself. What kind of judgment? Well, here it is in verses 30 and 32. 30 through 32. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. For this reason, because you didn't judge yourself. Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Many are dead, even. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, look at it yourself. Take an honest look at yourself. See what attitude is there lurking in my heart. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So he says, God will allow sickness as a judgment to jerk our chain and to keep us from going the way of the world sometimes. So I want to go over these four basic hindrances to healing and health again. Just see if the Lord just puts a check mark by one or two of these. Have I allowed a spirit of unbelief to rule in my life? Just a cynical spirit of unbelief that just kind of looks and says, nah. Just have, have I kind of allowed that cynicism? I call cynicism an old age disease because I find that as we get older, it's more and more prevalent that cynicism is just there lurking at the door all the time. Number two, have logic and reason robbed me of the faith that I once walked in? Look back at your life and see if logic and reason are now preeminent rather than the faith that you once walked in. Have I failed to be a good steward of my body? Be honest. And number four, have sinful attitudes ruled my life which open the door to sickness and disease? Have I allowed attitudes that will make you sick? 